So welcome back to another episode in my abuse series. And today I have such a special guest here, Melissa, and she is here to share her story of abuse that she endured. She is a survivor and she's also a victim. And so we're going to be very gentle with her and her story. And for those of you out there that are listening, I want to give a trigger warning. Today we are going to be talking about abuse, physical, mental, emotional, and sexual. So if this is not something that you are ready for, please just press pause, move on, come back when you're ready. But that's what we're going to be talking about today. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willett. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Okay, so here we are. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. I love you. I watch you on TikTok <laughs> and I really appreciate you being here to share your story with all of us and my listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for watching. Oh, I just yeah, I <laughs> you're you've just been such an inspiration. And so when I saw your TikToks, I'm like, I have to see if this girl is willing to, this woman is willing to come and share her story. And so you dealt with abuse from the age of five to 12. Yes. It? Okay. Yes. And, and you're, I just want to let everyone know, and you've, we've already talked about this and you do talk about it on TikTok that this was not at the hands of either parent. So just out there, we're not going to say who it is. We're not trying to be cheeky. It's just not a part of the story that she's willing to or ready to share. But can you talk about the grooming and so people can be aware of what it looked like and all that stuff. Absolutely. And yes, thank you for pointing out that it was not at the hand of either of my parents. That's something that I come across quite often on TikTok. And uh, before we got into this, I just wanted to dedicate my um, being on here today to my, my parents and the two incredible people that they are. So it started when I was five years old and it was very, very slow. At first, it it was somebody that was really close to my family. And I was taught from minute one that this was a safe human. I will say he, it, it was a male. I was five years old and he was in his mid forties and I was just taught that he was okay. And he knew that. And before I get into it, you have to know that people who are grooming children know exactly what they're doing, whether it's something that they've studied up on, or it's just a behavior that comes naturally to them, or it's something that's come from practice, they know what they're doing. And it started very, very small from come and sit by me from, oh, look at how cute your swimsuit is from, oh, tell me what happened today at preschool or, oh, you had your first day of kindergarten. Tell me what happened to, hey, I got you this present to just moving up and up to, hey, come, let me um, show you these things. And hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this with so-and-so. Do you maybe want to try? And, and then it just, it got, it snowballed. And then it moved into once the, the physical thing started and he could tell that the wheels were turning in my head and it was clicking to me that, Hey, I don't think that this is what's supposed to be happening. Then it 
came into the threats, into the, if you tell, I am going to hurt this person. If you tell, this is what I'm going to do to this person in very graphic detail. And that's scary for a little kid. Yeah. And he would also say things like, you know, if somebody like asks you, I'm going to think that you told them and just psychological mind that effort. Complete warfare on your mind. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. 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 And he knew what he was doing. And I look back on it now and just small little things. And he would also, when I would see him in passing out, like in public or in a different situation where he'd be in my family's home, he would do little things that would warn me and just kind of let me know, you know, I'm, I'm watching you. And it's, it's like straight out of a Stephen King novel. It, it make even as we're talking about it, it's making the hairs on my neck stand up because just, yeah. And, and as a little girl, I couldn't process from minute one that, Hey, this, this isn't right. Because as eighties kids were taught what to do if a stranger hurts us and we're taught, you know, stranger danger, but we're never taught what to do if somebody that we are told is supposed to love us and that we're supposed to respect and, and listen to and care for. And, and you see your parents trusting and taking under their wings. We're never taught what to do if somebody like that is hurting us. And it, yeah, it just was a little tiny snowball that went into a huge ice castle. Yeah. Do you, when you're talking about this, the beginning where it's the pulling you in, it's the, look how special our bond is. Look how much I care about you asking the questions, making you feel very comforted and safe that it's like step one. If I being a parent am watching someone around my children and I'm thinking to myself, this person gives a few too many shits. They're a little too interested in my kid. And I tell my husband, like, no, that person does not have children and they're volunteering to, you know, coach softball or they're volunteering to be a leader of some sort and have alone time with kids. To me, that's a huge red flag where mm-hmm. you see someone that cares about kids, as I say, more than they should. Like, yeah, yeah. And I have kids. I don't want anyone's kids at my house. Like, like you know, unless they're playing with my children or whatever, you know, like even, even the, I'm the same way. I, I don't like kids at my house, period. It's just, it's just... more work. So like, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you see an adult who is, oh, I want to take you to the zoo. No, you don't. No one wants to yeah. take someone's kid to the zoo. Yeah, you're exactly. a creep. And I mean, that might sound bad, but to me, that is Spidey Senses 101. Exactly. Right? But here's the, yeah, but here's the difference. And this might be, a, this is probably bordering on about as detailed as I want to get with specifics with him. Um, he had children. Okay. And so those alarms weren't going off. But one thing that he did that was really interesting is that my parents both worked a lot. My Mm -hmm. dad was a doctor who had two practices plus a little side business investment. And then my mom ran his practice and, and this little side business. And they were both incredibly busy people. And I didn't have as close of a relationship, um, you know, rest his soul with my dad that I had wanted to. And there were times where I would be stressed about it and I'd be sad about it and I would cry about it. And he used that to his advantage. 
and would, you know, just kind of be like a second fatherly figure. And to my parents at that time, that looked great. Yeah. Like, oh, thank you so much for like, you know, taking Stepping her in. in. And, yeah, yeah. And I was close with his kids. And, and so I spent a lot of time at their house and that didn't put any, any, you know, alarm bells off. And, and the sad thing about it is, is my mom and I have talked about this a lot that with my circumstance, there were so many things that just fell right into line that there wasn't an, even an opportunity for a red flag. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's it, but I can see, I can see what you're saying. Cause I'm that way with my kiddo. If anybody takes an interest in my kiddo, I'm a C I up until two years ago, I had been a single mom for five years. My 13-year-old is from my first marriage, and it was just the two of us. And I live right in the middle of Mormondom. And as a single mom, you become the project of the local congregation. So I had, yeah. So I had, and any Mormons who say that that wasn't what is happening haven't been outside of the church. But anyway, I became the project and I had, and my child's name is Moth. Um, Moth's biological father isn't really in their life. And so there were these kind of older men who went with really no ulterior motives with just trying to be nice and whatever, who kind of took an interest in Moth. And for me, that's a red flag going up. And I'm like, (laughs) you're not, no, No. are you freaking kidding me? And then, you know, like, and I don't like other kids in my house, like more than one. My right. kiddo has a best friend who can come, but I've never liked little kids around or anything because it's an unsafe place for me. Yeah. It's an un- and, and I don't ever want to be, yeah, I don't ever want to put myself in that situation. I don't yeah. want, ever want any red flags raised anywhere. For any and reason. So, yeah. But yeah, if somebody takes an interest in your kid that especially doesn't have kids or whatever, right? it's not cute. It's weird. It's weird. Right. I agree yeah. a thousand percent. And I'm so on board with that. So it was more in line. Like I have kids over here that are my friend's kids. It just falls into place. Their parents are doing this. That makes very much sense. Yada, yada. There was no red flags. And then it starts the physical piece, which then this person gets nervous. So then the threats start to come. And so the fear tactics and all that other stuff. So now not only do you or a child who's going through this, not only are they dealing with the physical the mental, the emotional, but now they also are dealing with a fear of protecting their family, a fear of protecting siblings, a fear of, so not only are they scared and all these other overwhelmed, horrible situations that they're going through, but now that they think their whole family could be killed by the same person. And PS, I know what they're capable of. I know how this person is really, really, really bad. And no one else but me knows that. And I'm the only one that can save my entire family from a situation that's bad that I'm like going through, but worse. Yeah. And there are two things I want to say to that. One is that he started to, because he was at family gatherings a lot and just around a lot and would say things like to kind of discredit me just over stupid stuff. Like I remember one time it was my job to pull weeds outside. I was probably seven and it was my job to pull this little patch of weeds. And I came in and I said, okay, I'm done. And he immediately was like, oh, hmm. I bet that she didn't do it. I'll go check. 
and he came outside and it was done, but he went back in and told them that it wasn't. And it's just something stupid like that. But he was doing everything that he could to kind of just make me look like this dumb little kid that didn't know anything. And discredit, then discredit, yeah, just discredit from soup to nuts. Like, hey, you know, whatever she says, I'm actually the authority here. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of got to a point, too, where I was really close with his children Close as in like we hung out at school a lot. We were all, I grew up Mormon. So we were all in the same congregation and um, they're called wards. And I would hang out with his, his kids quite a bit. And then they would kind of start to, as we got older um, into the higher grades of elementary would kind of, kind of started to turn on me a little bit, but I wanted to go back to what you said about protecting my family members. And there's one really big instance that sticks out in my mind. I lived on the same piece of property with my grandparents and we all lived on this corner lot and family like land that's been in my family for generations. And my grandparents built there and that's where my grandma's, you know, mom had lived and then my, my parents built their house there. And so I spent a vast majority of my childhood with my grandparents and um, very, very close to them. And they were included in the threats. And my sweet grandma loved to garden, loved to garden. And so there would be days in the summertime where she would be out in the garden. And if I found out that she was out there, I would go and sit with her all day long. I'm this little seven, eight-year-old kid who I- Holding watch. Holding watch. It's exactly what I did. And I'll never forget one time I had this little, like they call him- it's just a little shovel, but it's got like the pointed end on the, like a trowel. the top of it. I think trowel is trowel it. And my right. grandma had a bucket of them, um, of like little shovels and trowels and stuff. And she was carrying them out to the garage. And I knew that he was up at the house. And so I looked in the bucket, just, I was just kind of looking through and I took it out and I kept that with me and I took it home and I hid it so that when she was out in the yard, I could go out and be with her. But we did a lot of activities in the summer. We were boating a lot and camping a lot and traveling a lot. And so I would freak out because he would do little things just around to remind me that he was in control. And so I was like, what if he like hurts her one day? Or what if, you know, just to like remind me. And so I just tried to be on my best behavior. If somebody kind of started to catch on and any way, shape or form, I would shut it down like that. And, you know, if I was hurt, I would do everything I could to handle it. And it just, it was. And this, this isn't a situation because there's two types of situations where the abused individual quote protects the abuser. And one is this where you're protecting the situation, but what you're actually doing is protecting your real loved ones. But it looks like you're protecting the story. It looks like you're protecting him. It looks like you're protecting what's going on, but you're not. The other is where the people do what is Stockholm syndrome, where you do protect your captor. But this is different. This is like a double double. You're protecting him or your abuser because you have to protect your family and loved ones. So you're you're keeping the facade up for the safety of all of this at the at the ripe old age of five, six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. 
And this is where, when I started talking about this on TikTok, this is where victim shaming and victim blaming comes in in full force because all the time when I did like my first or second video of where I'm showing signs in the classroom. And it took me a while to, I've always known that I've wanted to talk about this, but it took me a while to kind of dabble in it. And then I finally was just like, we're going for it. Here we go. Yeah. So I put those up because it's tough. Like everybody has their opinion on how you should have done something. And if you haven't experienced it, great for you, but shut the up. Right. Like, right. Yeah. So I got so many comments. I probably had to delete 20 plus on that one video of, I don't understand why you didn't say something. You know how much pain you could have saved yourself if you had just said something. <laughs> yeah, oh, that would have been actually, great. I do. I do. Yeah, Thanks. I do. I'm well aware. Do you know how many times I just wanted to scream it out loud? But I just, I was this kid who loved their family very much. And I would never have been able to handle it if something had happened to them because I couldn't just deal with it. And I knew at a very young age, okay, I read, we all know who Elizabeth Smart is, who happens to be from my hometown. And I read in her book where she said one of the things that got her through was that she knew she would outlive him. And I sobbed when I read that. Because I felt the same way. I knew I would outlive him. And I knew it would stop eventually. I knew it would stop. So I just thought, I've just got to get through it. And then we will be okay. You know, I didn't realize the absolute magnification, magnification, that's not the right word, magnitude that it would have on my life. And I didn't understand that it would rob me of so much. But I knew it would stop eventually. So I just had to get through it. That's it. And I, I, if I, if it had to be me instead of my, you know, mom and dad and my grandparents being killed or the same thing happening to my, you know, my siblings or whatnot, then, then fine. The one thing that I'm, what I'm listening to in, in this is people understanding that you do look back you do wish you could have said something. You do wish you would have had a, you know, 20 year old, 30 year old brain back then, but you didn't because we don't. And to say maybe they are, maybe there's some people and I get, we're curious. There's a curiosity of wonder why you didn't say anything because quote, I would have, right? Uh-huh. I bet you would have. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> but when someone is sharing their story and, and I think this is a good takeaway right here, Um, Because I always talk to people that don't know what to say when someone has cancer. They don't know what to say, right? You know, people don't know what to say. Is if if you know that someone dealt with abuse and didn't tell, don't go at them for not telling, because it's too late. Exactly it. And I always say exactly. And I always say when somebody asks me if somebody tells me that they have been abused, what's the best way that I can help them? And yeah, there are a few things that I say, but to sum it up, keep your mouth shut. That's it. What I say is I say like, thank you for telling me that. What can I do to help you feel safe? That's it. That's That's it. it. You don't need to understand why they didn't do it the way that you would have. You don't need to know any details. Mm. All you need to know is that they trusted you with this and 
that's an honor in my book. And, and that's it. That's it. I don't know why people think that they are entitled to know anything extra than what, or more than what somebody volunteers. You wouldn't believe the things that people ask me. It's just asinine. And I, and look, I know that not everybody is a pro when it comes to trauma and how to support people with trauma and how to cope with PTSD and whatnot. But I, I just don't get the entitlement. There's a lot of entitlement that comes with it. And I think a lot of people think that they help too, when they're like, why didn't you tell anybody you could have told me? Well, one, I, I, I didn't know you. And two, like, <laughs> like it's, oh it's, my God. it's, it's, in, it's intense. Like, and it's, it's even gotten to the point sometimes where it's made me kind of want to stop and be like, you know what, but then I have to just realize that the way I did everything is not going to be everybody's cup of tea unless you are Melissa in 1980-whatever through 1990-whatever with this person and had this exact thing happening, then you don't get a say on what I did or did not do. And yeah, that's it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. And I love, I love that um, pointer. Thank you for trusting me because I think that we do need to start having dialogue and we need tools for that dialogue. And if it's killing you and you want to know what happened and why you might just need to press pause. And if the person comes back and shares more, okay. And if they never do, guess what? You're just, you just don't know. This is where it's at. And, and that's really, guess what? Too bad. Exactly. And I think that there comes a point where if you're wanting to know, like I've, I've told you some of the things that people have messaged me and asked me yeah. a complete stranger, right. if you're, if you're wanting to know just a little bit of a warning here, I'm going to get graphic for just a second. If you're wanting to know tools that were used, methods that were used, what caused the scarring specifically, you might need to maybe take a look at within and, and I don't mean that in a condescending way, but take a step back. And also people who share their stories, you have to be really careful about curiosity versus concern because they're two very, very, very different things. And I can sniff it out a mile away. Yeah. But somebody who's new to the game and new to trauma and new to processing may not. And sometimes, and there have been times where I got too far. I got too far. And it became, sharing. Yeah, sharing. And it became okay. somebody's entertainment yeah. rather than somebody, you know, really being concerned. You have to be really careful. Because there's creeps out there that do mm-hmm. ask questions for purposes of titillation. Yeah. I had somebody write me on TikTok and ask me if they could use my story to write fan fiction. I mean, I couldn't even... I just was like, I, I think yeah. you need to see somebody about that, but yeah, but this is like, where yeah, we're at it, in life. And it, I mean, yeah, with all these kids yeah. getting trafficked and molested and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, but I'm just like, it's not here for your entertainment. Somebody tells you because in order to heal, to even begin to heal, my therapist taught me that you need to create a support system and you need to create a circle of safety and somebody telling you 
is their invitation into their circle of safety. And it's an honor. And I wish more people would see that. They're not telling you to chit chat and they're not telling you to get your opinion on things. They're telling you because they're, they're trusting you with this sacred piece of information about themselves. I so agree with that. And just, I just want to, because I have gone through things and I actually just had this conversation with my husband yesterday, I think it was. And I said, I don't share. I do this. You know what I mean? I help everyone. I I interview you and give you a safe Mm -hmm. space, but Mm -hmm. I very rarely have my own safe space. Okay. And so I told him yesterday, when I say something (laughs) and you can, I'm sure identify with this, you need to listen. Cause yep. I might say something once a month that matters. Yep. Yep. And yeah. if I say like the other day I had to go to an oncology appointment and I was called him on the way. I'm, I'm fine. I, I just was a checkup. And I said, I'm on my way to this appointment. I was, and I called him on the way home. He said, call me on the way home. So I called him on the way home and he said, well, where were you? Right. And I lost my ever loving mind. I'm like, look, I say the word oncology twice a year. That's it. Yeah. And I it needs say to it, ring a bell. <laughs> it needs to ring a bell. You need to write it on a stick note. What I put it on your yeah. forehead. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and I, and I have to give, he's a human being just like we all are, but I'm just so dialed into everyone all the time. I make it so important, my business to care about other people that I always expect that people are going to be that way with me. And they're just not, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but I understand, but, and he is my safe space. Like he is my safe space in life. And this is why I've been, I'm able to do these things because he has allowed me to be, feel safe. But I think people need to recognize that when people share and they're not sharers, pay attention to the share. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that too, with the sharing that there also has to come the boundaries with, I've had to do this with my mother. I've had to do this with my husband that I'm happy to share. And I'm, you know, I've opened up to you, but it's not a, it's, it's, it's not an, on an, as you want basis. Like we would be walking down the aisle at the grocery store. And my mother turns to me and says, well, why do you think you did this? And I'm just like, whoa, like I am picking out breakfast cereal here, like simmer down. And so it became like having to set the boundary with her. So then when I yeah. So that when, so when I told my husband, cause we've only been together for about three and a half years mm-hmm. and, uh, in a couple of weeks, we, we will have been married for two. And, um, when I first told him, I said to him at the end, I said, okay, you can ask me any questions right now you want. I may not answer some, but go ahead and ask me the questions you have. Like and then you geared up, you're ready. Yeah. Like you're ready, I, right? I, I, I <laughs> put on my coat of armor. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can ask me what you need to, but after this conversation, I am asking you to please not bring it up unless I do. Mm. And that has been a boundary that he has been wonderful at respecting since I said it with my mother. She's incredible. My best friend, who's like my sister is incredible. It's just a firm boundary that I have. And, you know, boundaries have become so vital to my healing that I don't waver on them. And I'm sometimes, sometimes seen as not a very nice person, but I, I don't, I don't care. I spent too many years of my life doing too much stuff that I didn't want to. 
worrying about literally everyone on the planet. Literally Mm -hmm. everyone on your planet. Yeah. And I didn't know. Yeah. Hypervigilance. Yeah. I didn't know if every time I walked through that door, if I would come out. Yeah. I don't know because it just got, I I know this is taking it kind of into a little bit of a darker turn, but it got darker and worse as the time went on. And I, I, you know, I, yeah, I was hypervigilant and I didn't know if that day was my last day. I didn't know if he would go too far and I wouldn't make it out. Were you ever threatened with your own death? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Many times. Many mm-hmm. times. So not only were you dealing with physical abuse, because sexual abuse is physical abuse, clearly. Mm-hmm. And it caused, mm-hmm. and we, I want to run over to that when we're done here. But you, I mean, there was physical situations that you could have died from, plus the threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He took, you know, him having such a close relationship with my parents in so many different ways. He took that and used it to his advantage. For example, um, I'm adopted and so are my siblings. And he would use that and just say, I know how much your parents wanted you. And how would they feel if I um, took them away from you? I mean, it took, took you away from them. How would you feel if, because you didn't listen that I took you away from them. Or, you know, he'd talk about how there were some homes that were being built up above us. I'll never forget this day. And he, we were out walking with um, him and his kids and, and, you know, just every day because uh, that's who I hung out with sometimes. And he said, you know, he, he came over by me and he had just leaned down into my ear and he said, it would be years before anybody found you. Just, just little things like that. Just, just another. It was, mm-hmm. And it was no wonder that I like wasn't doing well in school, that I wasn't able to focus on really anything. But instead of like the red flags of something's happening, it was the 80s where if you're acting up and stuff, you have a learning disability and something's wrong with you. And and nobody, you know, and, and I have people come after me all the time who are like, how did your parents not see it? There's no way they could have seen it because they didn't know they were raised by parents who came from a generation who never talked about stuff like that ever. It wasn't, I mean, there was like the more, you know, with the shooting star PSAs on TV that maybe said one thing about it. And there wasn't literature like there is, because even if it was like, I always say like sexual abuse and childhood sexual abuse is not new. It's been going on since the dawn of time. Yeah. But the signs and the conversation and the dialogue and everything, that's newer. And it's new. It's been new since I've been a kid. You know, I remember life before the internet. I didn't see internet until I was in high school. And so there's no way that they could have seen it. My grandparents, there's no possible way that they could have seen it. They just saw me as a freaking weirdo that couldn't pay attention in school. And I very, not too long ago, I went back, I have all my report cards. I went back and looked through them and looked through the comment sections of them. And social butterfly, talks too much, can't pay attention, can't focus, fidgets, always taking trips to the bathroom, fake sick, like, and I just am looking at it like, you guys. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in high school, 
my, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here. I apologize if I am. When I was in high school, my mom read an article. My mom loved to read. She read an article and I think it was in Better Homes and Gardens or something like Women's Day or something that vaguely talked about the, the signs of child abuse and like child's child sexual abuse. And this light bulb like went off in her head. And she told me years later that she like threw it into her purse that she didn't even check it out because she was at the library and she threw it in her purse. She didn't even check it out. She came home. She showed my dad. My dad was just kind of like, you know, just my dad was bless his heart was just this (laughs) tough, rugged hunter, fisherman, outdoorsy doctor who just whatever he just, you know, he did. He existed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I could say he's a, my last name is gold. I could say he's a gold and and that means something to the people in my life, but he just is. Yeah. And she showed it to him. He just kind of like, whatever. But, and then she came to me that night And she said to me, Melissa, did something happen to you when you were little? And I was just like, no. And she said, because even at that time, he was long gone by that time. He had moved away. I had no idea where he was. The constant um, assault from both parties had stopped. There was the time when I was 14. And then there were, you know, a few more times between 14 and 21 from other people. But life had just kind of gone on. And so I immediately in my head was like, it's over. Uh, There's no way I'm telling her like, just be done. I just want to move on. Mm -hmm. So I denied it adamantly. And she tried to put me in therapy. She had me tested for learning disabilities and had tried to put me in special ed because I was still struggling in school. But I tested out of all of like the specialized testing and everything. And and she went to the principal and was just like, I, you know, by my senior year, because I was getting horrible grades. I just couldn't, I just, you know, it was affecting me everywhere. Um, And she just would beg me all the time. Like she just say, I know something's happened to you. And I'm just like, I, I don't, you're nuts. I don't know what you're talking about. And it got to the point where I pushed her so far away because she just wanted so desperately to help, but there was no way I was telling her. There was no way I was telling her because I knew it would hurt her. And she did more research. She tried to put me in with a therapist. The therapist kind of tried to get me to talk about something really great guy tried to get me to talk about things, but I just was like, she's nuts. I don't know why I'm here. Like, I'm fine. I, I don't do well in school because I don't care. And, you know, I just thought my brain was broken because that's just how it was. I had no idea that it was trauma. I had no idea what the arrested development, you know, phenomena was. I had nothing. I just was trying to get through life the best that I could. But as soon as she had an inkling, she was on it fast. She was in it. Can I go back to, because you went when you were younger. (laughs) Yeah, you're fine. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to be so quiet and just absorb your story. When you were in elementary school, and I know this because I watch um, your TikToks, and you talk about having to use the bathroom pass incessantly and trying to take care of yourself physically. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, any teacher is going to do the, you know, the, 
Melissa, do you really need to go to the bathroom again? You Mm -hmm. were just in the bathroom. Like that's just normal Mm -hmm. teacher behavior. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to handle some, some very physical um, issues that you're dealing with and protect your family at the same time and keep your story. But at the same time, you had some physical situations that you were dealing with because of the abuse. Did you have friends at that time? Were they asking you what's good? Is anyone figuring any? I mean, no one's figuring this out. You're protecting it to the end all be all. How are you dealing? I mean, like half kids at eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, like I'm panicked. I don't want my kids to ever get younger kids to get their period or anything. Cause that was something that we have to deal with. Yeah. So how does a yeah. young child deal with her body who age wise shouldn't have to deal with her body? Yeah. So I developed really early. I, part of it is genetics and I come from a long line of women biologically who did. Okay. And part of it was there's been studies that have shown that there's a correlation between abuse and um, females developing early. So there were, you know, those two things. So when I was in first grade, I was wearing a bra. I had been mm. taught about deodorant. And then my mother saw that these, you know, that these developments were happening, happening. So talked to me about um, menstruation very early. I knew all about it by first grade. Wow. Um, yeah. And also I had a mom who was obsessed with cleanliness and so had taught me how to keep myself clean and how to you know, take good care of my body that I was a, a first grader that had a body probably of a seventh grader at wow. that point. I've been this tall since I was in fifth grade. I'm five, five. Okay. And, and yeah, I just developed so, so quickly. So we have my mother to thank for that. Cause that helped tremendously, but I just kind of started paying attention to the women around me. So I paid attention to what my mother did, like she had pads and and I didn't know what they were necessarily like how to use them, but I would take them and put them in my backpack just to have them because she talked to me about periods and Mm -hmm. about, you know, about what happens when you have your period. And so I thought, well, if I'm bleeding in any capacity, I can just use these. Oh my. Wow. Yeah. And then... I, when I was in second grade, I went to the library and I started to find books to read about infection or like, I was raised by a doctor. So we talked about first aid and things like that. And by second and third grade, I was starting to like, just go and like, look at any book that I could about like, I looked at at books about women having babies just so that I could like, look at the anatomy so that I could just try and figure it out. Like it sounds scrambled, but that's what I was doing. I was scrambling for information because now if, if it were second, third grade grade, now I could go sit down at the computer and Google you know, what do I do with this and this and this, but I just had to figure it out. And then my dad taught us very early on about wilderness first aid and about first aid because he was a doctor and he always wanted us to know how to survive. if We were somehow out in the middle of nowhere. And 
cut right. an extremity off or whatever. So I knew about putting pressure on things that were bleeding. I knew on keeping cuts clean, but I will look back now and wonder how I didn't bleed to death or how I didn't die of infection. But I also had an abuser who kind of cleaned up after himself and, and would get rid of any type of evidence to, you know, protect himself. So I think between that, between me knowing the tiny little things that I did as a kid and scrambling to try and figure things out, like, I I think you've seen a video of me that I made on TikTok. I don't know if you've seen it where I'm looking at a book and it's to that song that must be so confusing for little girls. And I had found this book on women's anatomy and having babies and whatnot. And I had gone and like hidden in the back corner of the library because I was just trying to find anything on how to like, if something was hurt or something was cut or what, like how to keep it clean or how to keep it from not healing correctly. Right. There were times I, I knew I was in trouble, like physically. I don't know how I survived. And there were times where I would be like, well, I can't tell anybody. So I'm, I'm just going to have to deal with it. So there were days where I would fake sick from school so that I could just lay in my bed all day. Or I would sit, I would get the bath water as hot as I could possibly stand it and sit in it and then drain it and fill it up and sit in it again. And like practically scald the top layer of my skin off. I just did the best that I could. I have no idea how I survived. And I'll never know how I survived. Literally, I mean, so that you could tell your story, that's why. I think so. <laughs> so you could I help so. millions of people because you you are. You're, I mean, it really, I want you to know you're just such a blessing to be telling this. And I appreciate but let me ask you this, because as a mom, I have four kids. My youngest is 10. I have a 12 year old. When looking at friends, because they, they go to sleepovers, mm-hmm. they go and hang out at friends, family friends house, getting them alone, getting you alone. What does that look like? How does that play out to get you alone away from his kids, away from your parents? for an, an, an amount of time that all of this can, how does a person do that? What am I looking for as a parent listening to this? How does that go? Well, I think that it's interesting because if I look back on it, sometimes I'm like, I don't know how like his wife didn't know. And I can't say that she didn't. There were times where he would be like, oh, I want to show you this and would take me down into a specific place in his house and um, would keep me down there for maybe 20, 30 minutes at a time where everybody else was distracted. So whether it was at a birthday party or whatnot, or there would be times where they would be somebody that I was supposed to be hanging out at while I waited for my parents to get home from work. And so me being gone wouldn't be like, wouldn't raise any flags. Or I also back then too, this played a huge part in it. They lived real. I have to live relatively close to us. And it was, I know I've said this a lot, but it it comes into play a lot. It was the eighties. 
Right. This was a time where we were pushed out the front door at the beginning of the day and told to be home by the time the streetlights were on. Like that's an actual thing. Right. And (laughs) so so, I was literally locked out uh, in the eighties. It could have been a blizzard, but locked out, physically locked out of the house. Come home for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So when I'm out and about and running around and I'm not out on the street for an hour, nobody's noticing. Yeah. And um, it was more intense in the summertime and, but let off a little bit during the school time. Cause he didn't have as good of access to me gotcha. as he did during the summer. So now I would just be really wary of anybody that would want to spend alone time with my kid. It's just not necessary any or anybody that didn't come up to me and say, hey, I've got this thing. Like, for example, my kid is really into rocks. So if somebody were to come up to me and say, hey, I've got this really cool set of rocks, I would love for Mock to see it. Do you mind if they come, you know, down here with me? Chances are I would say, I don't mind. Let me come with you. But anybody that wants alone time with your kid without clearing it with you first or even just wanting it, period, that's a red flag for me. Huge. And sometimes I think that parents can do things that are seem so simple and like innocent to them, but it just opens up the door for too many like variables and too many, too many variables. I think that's the right, the right word for it. And there was another person. So we have the main person that was the mm-hmm. consistent ages mm-hmm. five through 12, but there was another intermittent abuser that was also in your life. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, did that other person know about, have any inkling about the original, I'm going to call him the original consistent abuser? I, I don't know. You don't know? I, I don't know if they do or not. No. Cause I'm just wondering if they knew you had been groomed to the point where they're like, oh yeah, this, this person is a, you know, a target yeah. if you will, or whatever. I don't know the words. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know if they're aware of each other. And then when you were 14 through 21, mm-hmm. you were, you were assaulted four times or, or was it just four different people or. It was four different people, four different times, four different people, four different times. And when you look at that, cause in this day and age, we, we talk so much about energy. We talk mm-hmm. about being a victim, being an abuser, being empathic or a narcissist or, you know, preying on people. There's all these like different roles energetically that people talk about. And to, and we have to be so mindful that we are not victim blaming, but I'm going to ha- ask you this question and I hope that it comes out right. Please work with me. Okay. Is there any part, and, and, and I look at this for my own self as well, that you go, I was screaming victim. My, my, my energy screamed victim. My energy screamed, come at me. <laughs> like I am, I'm, I'm weak. I, I'm not going to tell. I, you've got me. Is there, is there a part of you that you think that there's, that was in there? 100%. And I, I attribute it to if you watch those wildlife documentaries and the lions stalk the herds of water buffalo and they watch for the weaker ones because they know they can take the weaker ones down. Whether it is conscious, well, with the lion, it's conscious because they want to eat. Whether it's conscious or subconscious with 
um, a predator, they can pick out the weak ones of the herd. If somebody were to come after me now, you couldn't get within 10 feet of me because I'd see you coming before you even knew what you were doing, which is not a really great trait to have. <laughs> it just is, you know, that's it, a, it I don't want to be strong anymore thing. Right. I'm sick of being with strong. experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely do. I think that in the different situations that they ask the right questions and that they put me in the right situations. And when I was 21 years old, the last time it was a car salesman who took me on a test drive and he was cute. He was a little bit older than I was. I was in, you know, in the market for a new car and I was just, you know, I was, I was playing along like flirting with him and stuff because I wanted a new car. And I also knew a lot about cars. So I thought it would be funny to kind of act the dumb part and then flip it on. I'm like, well, actually, you know, and just because I'm 21, we're having fun. And he, he just kind of caught on really quickly, though, that when I look back on it, that I wasn't going to do anything to fight him, because he was like, well, let's go because I said, let's go back. You know, I, I've, I've gotten the drive. Let's go back. And he's like, well, let's go drive some more. And I was like, oh, okay. And the sun was setting. And, um, and he's asked me, he said, do you, are you meeting up with anybody? Does anybody know that you're shopping for cars? Wow. And yeah. And if somebody were asking me that now, I would be like, I'm getting out right now. Like, yeah. And um, I was like, well, no, you know, and, and just, he was like, well, let's go down and kind of drive in like this, um, like more remote area. Cause the roads are open up down there and we can take, uh, you know, off down there. I look back on it and there were so many red flags that I just didn't see. And it it's, yeah, I think that he knew I, and I, my whole life from five years old till when I finally decided I was so sick of this. I was a victim. I lived my life in victim mode and 85% of what I did was a trauma response. And then the other part was just who I was as a person, but who I was as a person was also incredibly tainted by trauma. And so it's taken me a lot of work to pull myself out of victim mode and just not live in survivor mode, but just live because sometimes I'll pop into survival mode. I think when I'm on TikTok, I'm talking, I'm in survival mode because I'm yeah. teaching the things that I know and I'm standing up for those who can't. But pulling yourself out of victim mode and recognizing that you sat in it for so long can be really disheartening. And it's, and it can, it, it's sad. It's sad because you don't want to be the weak one in the pack. You don't want to be the one that the predator looks for. You want to be the one that sees it coming and you want to be the one that can get out of the way. So I hope that that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. There, and, and like looking and listening to you talk, I just keep seeing all the things as women, be a good girl, uh, you know, honor your parents, respect your elders. Um, mom knows best. Don't be disrespectful. Be polite. Be a good girl. And they did a study. I don't know where it is. Maybe I could find it and put it in the show notes. But it was that women are more likely to be murdered based purely on being polite. Yep. 
That's why my new tagline that I say when I do my lives and talk to my TikTok followers is to stay weird and be rude. Be rude. Mm -hmm. I mean, I woke up being abused. I was sleeping on someone's couch and I woke, woke up to being sexually abused and I didn't want to be rude and say anything. So I pretended to sleep because I didn't want to cause a scene and be that girl. And here's the thing with Holy that. shit, Melissa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and here's the thing with that. You're going to have so many, like, people, the younger generation, like Generation X or whatever they're calling them yeah. now, go, oh, my God. Who why would, would you just stay sleeping? That's yep. what we were taught. Yeah. We were not taught. Do to... not ruffle feathers. Nothing. No. Yeah. And my parents loved this person and trusted this person and had spent a lot of time with this person. And why would I, why would I want to be rude? Like, yeah. And, and you're going to ruin then, everything. Don't yeah. ruin everything. Don't be, I remember putting up with, you know, mental abuse, verbal abuse at one of my jobs. And mm-hmm. I remember there was a gal who um, did a sexual harassment lawsuit. And I remember as a woman, being harassed by grown men. I was 18 years old and I judged her for causing a stink. And she was dealing with the same thing that I was dealing with, but I remember judging her for causing a stink. Okay. (laughs) This is the perfect. Okay. This could not have happened on a better day. And I'll tell you why. I just put up a video last night, part two of when I ruffled some feathers in the ER. Because look, I don't expect everybody to accommodate my needs. The only one responsible for my triggers is me. But I do respect people to be be polite. I believe respect goes both ways. I don't appreciate condescension. I certainly don't appreciate whatever you need to do to make you feel safe. And, you know, I know it's really scary and whatnot. So I posted part two. Well, somebody commented this morning, you're a little too much. You really need to learn some calming exercises as to not like something to the effect of like to not um, you know, and not expect everybody to be responsible for your triggers. And then the second comment this person says, cause they, they had to keep few, going cause they had to keep going. Yeah. They say I'm a fellow survivor. And then they just said, I realized not everybody is different. And I just wanted to, and then I went back and looked at the profile and saw that it's a woman who's maybe maybe probably 15 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you were taught to you stay taught polite, to just stay like polite. I was. And I've also had the conversation too with where my husband, my sweet husband, who is like, sometimes I think that you might be a little bit bad at relationships. And I'm like, tell me why you think that. And he tells me and I'm like, no, honey, that's not being rude. That's boundaries. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like it's okay to stay weird and be rude. And I was also raised in the Mormon church where the patriarchy rings Rules. true. Yeah. And where purity culture is your culture. Yeah. And I wasn't taught the difference between consensual versus non consensual and clean versus dirt. You know, All I wasn't that. taught any of that. So it was just easier. It was easier across the board to stay quiet. 100%. And let's go back to that TikTok that you're just talking about, because I did see 
Um, I watched both of them. And in this, you were going into the ER, you had, uh, you're going to see the doctor for something. There was a nurse that came in, you were telling her boundaries that you needed to feel safe in the uh, ER based on your clothing, based on a gown, based on curtains and doors and all these things, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you have been in a situation where curtains and doors and boundaries and clothing are life and death. Yeah. Um, are going to take you back there. And if you haven't experienced trauma, I suffered from PTSD for 10 years based on my son was in the NICU. I know that might sound wacky, but I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't watch the TV show ER because I saw if they would have a kid in a isolate, you know, um, a newborn in an isolate with tubes and all that, I would, I would be lost for two days. And so you never know what that thing you know, you might know, but there are things that can take you back to that place in a nanosecond. And it is just as real. And I want, I hope people can hear in my voice. It is just as real as the day that it happened. And the memory is recreated. The sight, the sound, the smell, the vibration, everything is exactly the same. And you are there. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you are going to be in a situation where you can prevent, I don't know, going back to sexual assault at a five-year-old, and there's some things that you know that can be done, and you're asking a medical professional to help you through that, you ask. Yep. And here's my thing. First of all, thank you for saying that, that it takes you back because some people don't realize that it's not me remembering that I lost the red balloon at the 4th of July parade when I was five. It's me remembering being under this person who is hurting me and thinking that I may not make it back out of that basement. There's such a huge difference. And I don't think that me asking, Hey, could you not pull the blinds closed or Hey, I'd like to stay in my clothes until I can. And being respectful is too much. I realize that every single place I ever go is not set up for my PTSD. And I've said it a million times. The only person responsible for my triggers is me. And it's okay if you can't accommodate me. Sometimes I can say, all right, then this is not the office for me. But when I have a raging infection and I need to be in there and my doctor isn't available, then I will ask if it's not going to work out, then fine. I'll use my coping mechanisms. We'll get through it. But I don't think that asking for what I need to feel safe is too much or an, you know, an inconvenience or putting any, or putting anyone out. And I also believe that feeling safe is a right, not only as a victim, but as a freaking human being. Yeah. And like, you wouldn't believe the comments that I got on that. And I realized that a lot of them come from kids who don't understand things and from people who've never experienced trauma, but it can take you right back. I can be standing in line at Taco Bell and something will hit me out of nowhere. And it will take me right back. And I'm not standing in Taco Bell next to my husband. I'm five years old back in this basement. And I sometimes think that the flashbacks are scarier sometimes than the actual moments because in the flashbacks, I don't have control of my brain. Back then in nine out of, well, let's say seven out of 10 instances, I did. I could shut down. 
I could go to different places. You, when you flash back, it's there. It's there. It's, it's there. not going away. You're not checking you out of it. Your, you can't go to your happy place and you don't know when that flashback is going to end. You can't pull yourself out of it. And I get, you know, and I have to remember today I made two pretty fast response videos to two really kind of ignorant comments. But then about 15 minutes later, I took them down because I made a decision in that moment that I'm done trying to make everybody understand. Can't make everybody get it. Nope. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach what I know. Yeah. And I'm going to remember that the ones who comment those things are the reason why I'm doing this. Yeah. Is to educate on how to support trauma victims and to educate on how to cope with PTSD if it's something that you have or how to just survive after trauma and to show others that there's life. There's life after trauma. There's joy after trauma. And not just life. I mean, you're married. You mm-hmm. have a child. You have mm-hmm. uh, two children. I do. You have an 18-year-old stepson, and then you have mm-hmm. a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. You're doing the work. You're educating. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself, through this platform of the podcast, through TikTok, I know that I'm working through my things. And and as you said, I mean, the amount of people that I block... <laughs> A block in a day, which might, but, but not everyone gets me and, and they don't have to, and I don't need to get them, you know, I don't need to live on their planet. They don't need to live on my planet. They're not here to hear my words, you know, and it's okay if people aren't going to hear your words, you know, God bless them. Maybe, maybe they'll never get your words. Perfect. That's what we're looking for here. You know, like I want you to not understand this, right. I want you to, to, I want to be completely bizarre to you because that means you didn't go through this right? Exactly. And congratulations. And congratulations. That's really amazing. But however, comma, however, comma, you do not get to shame me for what I do to survive. Yeah. And that's the difference. And I've also too had people come in and say to me like, well, it couldn't have been that bad. Because like, you seem really happy and it couldn't have been that bad because, you know, you say there's life and joy and it couldn't have been that bad because if what you say happened really did, then you wouldn't be like this. And I'm like, hear me when I tell you the Melissa you're looking at now is not the same Melissa that I was even five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. My first marriage was a trauma response. I sabotaged a lot of really good things in my life. I hurt a lot of people. I was not very nice. And then one day, it's like I just woke up. I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't realize the gravity that the trauma was having on my life. I thought that something was wrong. I thought maybe I was autistic. I thought maybe I was just had something that was going on. And I went to my mom. I'll never forget it. I went to my mom. I was 34 years old. I was fresh out of a divorce and living in their living room with my, you know, three-year-old child. And I went to my mom and I said, I think something's wrong with me. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know. I said, I'm, I'm 34, but 
I don't feel 34. And she said, well, how old do you feel? And I'm like, like 15. And she just said, something's happened to you. You know what's happened to you. And I think you need to address it. And I, and it closed right back up. Mm. I went, no. And like, put, you know, my hair behind my head. And I was like, I'll figure this out myself. Yeah. And then within weeks of that conversation, my body started to break down. Yeah. I started to have heart issues. Like I started doing having abnormal rhythms that they couldn't find the issue. Like they couldn't find what was causing it. They did every test under the book. I ended up having to have a heart um, surgery. I was, um, I weighed almost 400 pounds. I was, I couldn't think properly. I couldn't make any decisions. Everything was crumbling. Wow. And my heart surgeon after my surgery came in and talked to me and he said, I think something's gone on in your life. Wow. You're going to die if you don't get help. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then maybe a few days after that, I was brushing my teeth, which was, that's, it's funny. That's a whole other story in itself, but I was brushing my teeth and I looked up in the mirror and I just said out loud, what are you doing? And it's just like, I just knew in that moment, like, you know, exactly what happened. You know, exactly the effect that it's having on your life. This is what's what you're doing. Like, why are you wasting all this time? You have a gorgeous child. You have potential to do amazing things. Like, cut the shit. And I was like, okay, okay, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I had no foundation. If you were to ask me then, tell me about yourself. I would have nothing to tell you. What are your hobbies? I don't know. What's your favorite color? I don't know. What are the things you believe in? I don't know. I had nothing. I had nothing. I had this gorgeous child and a U-Haul full of belongings. It was in my parents' garage. And that's the only two tangible things I could hold on to. And so I went to my mom and I said, okay, I don't want to talk about it, but we're done with this. And so I did research on trauma therapists in my area I went through one, mm-mm, two, mm-mm. I got to number three and I knew within five minutes of being in her office and I get emotional when I talk about her. <laughs> I knew within five minutes of being in her office that I had finally like stepped off the raft. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I had made this little raft throughout my life of all this stuff that I was just trying to hold on to, that I was just trying to use to navigate the waters of life, but it wasn't ever stable. And I was always having to patch it with stuff and that wasn't necessarily healthy and it would spring leaks all the time, but there was no way that I was going to get off because this was my lifeline. Even though it didn't look like everybody else's rafts or big boats or ships, it was mine, but it wasn't getting us anywhere and it was going down. And not only was it taking me with it, it was taking my kid. And so I, I pulled it up to the dock and I finally was able to just step off. And we went through two pretty grueling sections. I wouldn't say anything. I was still pretty and I just, I didn't want to face it. I knew it was going to be so painful. I, I gravely underestimated just how painful 
if you go back and look at a TikTok I made a few days ago, I, I literally was like, I'm going to go to therapy a month later. I'm going to be doing awesome. I'm going to be right where my peers are. It's going to feel great. And I spent the better part of two years on my couch. I uh, went twice a week for about a year and it was hell. It was really hard because we had this bucket that was full of crap and we had to clean it out. And I had to say things that I swore I would never say again. I had to tell my parents, which was gut-wrenching. And I had to face it. I had to turn around and I had to face it. But it was the best work I have ever done. It's not over. It's not far from over. But I have a foundation. I have built up this foundation that my life sits on. I have beliefs. I have values. I have a beautiful husband. I have two beautiful children. I have a wonderful support system. It's very small, but it's there. I have had to put up boundaries for people that couldn't be in my life anymore. And that was really painful, but it, it is what it was. There have been some wrongs I've been able to make right, and there's some that I haven't, but I'm trying to make those right by just being a better person. So if we ever cross paths again, then it, it's, you know, it's different. But I think that I, I see some people who don't want to go or who talk to me about not wanting to go to therapy because they don't know if it'll be worth it. I've had somebody say, what does healing look like? Does talking, how does just talking help? And it's so much more than just sitting on that couch and talking, but I wasted so much time letting them win. Yeah. And then I decided one day, not too long ago that it, I couldn't let it be for nothing. I couldn't let it be for nothing. So here we are. <laughs> writing a book. Yeah, writing a book. Um, I am writing a short book of essays that I want to self-publish by Christmas. That's my goal. And then I'm hoping after that will come the book, you know, the book. Mm -hmm. um, because there's so, and part of the reason why I'm writing the book and the essays and part of the reason why I'm on TikTok is because there were so many times where I knew I wasn't alone, but there's so much about it that nobody talks about. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to talk about the stuff that nobody talks about. And I wanted to share the things that I know that kind of helped me step off the raft and do the work. And you know, if, if nothing else, I want fellow survivors out there to know that there is breath after trauma yeah, and that there's life, but you have to work your ass off for it. You got to do the work. You mm -hmm. got to do the work. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. So, and you couldn't be here today had you not done it. You couldn't be the healthy mom and wife or on the way to health. Cause every day, I mean, Every day is a new day, you know, and, and today might be a good day or a bad day, but, you know, in, in the therapy, you're given the tools to make it through the bad yes. ones. Yes. And there, I was running out of time. I was running out of time because it was not, it was not sustainable. 
the rate that I was going at was not sustainable. It was getting dangerous. I was making stupid decisions and I wasn't caring for myself and I, I was running out of time. And I knew it and I knew it. And I would, every birthday that came, I would kind of go, okay, well, you've maybe got this many years left. So, wow. yeah. And I would, I, and, and now when the birthdays come, I just don't pay attention. I'm just like, we're still here. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And we move forward, but I don't want the misconception that everything where I'm at now in my life is sunshine and roses <laughs> right? because it's not, I am yeah. a survivor, but I am a victim and trauma affects every single aspect of my life. There's lots of milestones that I can't hit like my peers or that I won't because of trauma. I am permanently disabled and will never have a normal eight to five job because of, of PTSD. And I, um, arrested development is a, it, it's a really interesting thing that happens with the brain where your brain stops emotionally developing at the age the trauma begins, and then it delays it drastically. So I always say, and my therapist has kind of helped me come up with this number. I'm 39 years old and I'm operating at the emotional intelligence of maybe a 19 year old. Oh, wow. In some areas of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's hard. And, you know, and there's different things in my life that I wish I could do, but can't, but I can't, I can't sit around and be angry about it. Sometimes I let myself, I think that I, I think leaning into the discomfort and leaning into the pain is vital and allowing yourself when it comes to feel it. And there are days where I'm really angry and there are days where I'm really sad and there are days when I eat my body weight and carbs. And then there are the really good days that I cherish because I didn't ever think that they would come again. Well, this has been like monumental Thank you. And I want you to know that I feel very, very blessed and honored for you to feel comfortable to come onto this platform with me and share your story. And I, I feel that you felt safe this, this amount of yes. time that we've spent yes. together. Yes, um, I have. And I look forward to your essays. I Thank look you. forward <laughs> to your book and we will... We definitely will have to have you back on so we can talk about the book when it's here so that everyone can go buy it. Awesome. I would love that. Of course. And I want everyone to go find you at that gold 82. That, that gold, gold girl. I'm sorry, that gold girl 82. <laughs> and that's on mm -hmm. TikTok and Instagram that people can find yes. you. Yes. And for those of you that want to contact her, feel free to contact her at that gold girl 82 on Instagram or TikTok if you're over the age of 18. And then the other resource she wanted to make sure that we gave all of you is rain.org. And that's R A I N n.org and that's for people who are are maybe dealing with sexual abuse children to adults or you're looking for resources or maybe you have a child who all of a sudden you've realized has gone through um this sexual abuse and you need resources so there's tons of resources at rain.org um to help everyone out there through this but she's um absolutely willing you know, you've heard her boundaries. So be sure if you do reach out to her that you respect those boundaries. But I, I would 
I would ask any of anybody to go to her TikTok because what she brings is her story. It really has helped me be able to have this conversation with you. It really has. Like it really kind of empowered me to feel equipped to ask the questions. (laughs) It made me feel equipped to be, um, hold this space for you. And, and so I appreciate, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you trusting uh, me to share your story with you. And I look forward to having you back. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's felt really good to talk about this. And um, I appreciate your respect for my boundaries as well. And yes, please come find me on TikTok and Instagram. And um, my inbox is always open. I love that. All right, my love. Thanks so much. And we will talk again soon when that book is ready. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.